Hello, everyone. It's good to be with you today. Uh, hello to everyone watching online on the live stream or later on. We're going to look at that reading from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you happen to have a, a Bible with you or on your phone, uh, feel free to follow along. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, recently on Facebook, I've seen lots of photos of people going out and enjoying holidays in Tasmania. Until a few weeks ago, we couldn't do anything else, really, could we? And people were taking advantage of our beautiful state. And one picture was of a shack on the east coast, of a deck overlooking the beach, some beautiful comfy chairs. And I could, I could imagine myself there. I could picture myself on that deck sitting in one of those nice comfy chairs, maybe a bit of brie cheese, a nice Tasmanian cider, looking out, watching the sunset. It's just a picture of pure contentment. It's the Tasmanian dream. The Tasmanian vision for living your best life is all about the lifestyle. It's seeking a relaxed, slower-paced life in our nice, safe, pandemic-free island where we can be separated from the world, maybe with occasional escapes to other places. We make the most of the beauty. Uh, it's not as concerned about career and money, although those things are still important for Tasmanians. And for Tasmanians, it's also about the relationships. It's about knowing other people and being known closely. Tasmanians are going to react to anyone or anything that threatens their lifestyle. You'll see that any time there's a new development or a new idea in Tasmania. So for some people, the iconic picture of the Tasmanian lifestyle is the shack holiday. For others, it might be a bushwalk in our wilderness. Or maybe for, for some of you, it's having a nice comfy home with a great view maybe of Mount Wellington or of the water, and it's a place where you know your neighbours. You, you come home, you retreat after a, a day at work which isn't too hard and it's a fulfilling job. But is that really contentment? Is the Tasmanian lifestyle dream what we should actually be aiming for? With Jesus, of course, by our side. Maybe onto that deck, I should add um, a nice Christian book that I'm reading while I'm in that comfy chair. Maybe I should add a conversation about faith with one of my friends. Is that the pinnacle of what God wants for us as followers of Jesus? I wonder what your dream for life is. Is your dream for life that Tasmanian, relaxed, slow-paced lifestyle with good friends and family and uh, Jesus as the spiritual icing on the cake? In 1, Timothy t in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes to a young Christian leader, Timothy, about a different dream for life. It's a different dream even from the dream being pushed by some people within the church. It's a different picture of contentment. So we're going to have a look at that reading now to see what Jesus' dream for our life looks like. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
some people miss out on the Tassie lifestyle dream. What if that's you? What if you don't own a shack on the East Coast to go with your nice house in Lindisfarne? What if you're struggling on a pension or a low income? What if you're unemployed? What if you're just starting out in life at the beginning of the workforce? What if you feel like you're missing out on the Tassie lifestyle dream and you're just watching it go past on Facebook, but you're never a part of it? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. At first, something about that verse doesn't sound quite right, does it? Does this mean if I am godly and I'm content with it, uh, then I'm going to win Tats Lotto or I'm going to put down a bet on sports bet and I'm going to get stacks of cash? Great gain. Is that what, it, what it's meaning? The clue comes in the previous verse, which we didn't read, but if you happen to be looking in your Bible, verse 5 talks about constant friction between people of corrupt mind who've been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a mean to, means to financial gain. If you think that God wants to make you rich, then you've fallen for the marketing spin. The great gain in verse 6 is not financial gain, it's something better than that. Earlier in, in 1 Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That's why we labour and strive, because we've put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all people and especially those who believe. So Paul is saying, don't go to the gym to get fit, although that does actually have some benefits. Put in the hard yards on godliness training, because that's what pays off in this life and in the next with Jesus. And you don't get rich, you get hope. You get all the promises and blessings of God. Uh, when I was about 18, I was studying economics at UTAS here in Hobart, and amongst my group of friends, um, they used to say to me they thought that I was the one who would most likely be driving a BMW by the time I was 25. I had a life change with God. I worked hard on my spiritual life. And at age 25, I was driving a brown 1973 Ford Escort, which was held together with silicon. I was the only person in Tasmania who could start the thing. But I had purpose and meaning in life. And that was far more valuable than a BMW. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, contentment is a word in that time that the Stoics would use for being self-sufficient regardless of your circumstances. Stoical, stiff upper lip through trials. Well, Paul here is not talking about self-sufficiency. He's talking about Jesus' sufficiency. 
In Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, I found the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether hungry or well-fed. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus' sufficiency. I wonder if you're content in life or if you're striving for more all the time. Uh, do you know our whole advertising industry is designed to make us feel discontented with our life? Our advertising industry is designed to make you feel ugly, poor and useless. And it works, doesn't it? Because you see that picture of the model on Instagram or in the shop window and you think, well, I don't look like that. And if I did look like that, I'd have a model partner and I'd be driving a Ferrari, I'd be living on a tropical island and I feel discontented. And the Tasmanian lifestyle dream is designed to make you feel discontented. It's another version of the advertising dream. But Jesus can give you the secret of true contentment in life. In verse 7 of our reading, we read, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Food and clothes, that's enough to be content. Uh, actually, the word for clothing literally translates as covering. So what it probably means is uh, the covering for your body, your clothes, and the covering over your head, the roof of your house. So it's saying if you've got the basic necessities of food, clothing, and shelter, that's enough to be content. Uh, Paul isn't saying you can't have anything else, but he is saying you don't need anything else. And then he goes on in verses 9 and 10 to talk about the trap of wanting more and more. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Uh, when I was at uni studying economics, uh, there was a guy called Alfred Marshall who came up with a concept uh, in about 1890 called diminishing marginal utility. Diminishing marginal utility. So this is what he writes. He says, the additional benefit a person derives from a given increase of his stock of a thing diminishes with every increase in the stock that he already has. Now, in other words, more money doesn't make you more happy and it loses its power the more you have. Uh, let me give you an example. If you've got one car in your driveway, that's a pretty good thing, isn't it? Because, you know, you can drive to church, you can drive to the shops, you can carry people around. If you've got two cars in your driveway, the value of the second car is a lot less, isn't it? Because you can only drive one car while the other car sits in your driveway. What about if you've got five cars sitting in your driveway? What about if you've got three TVs in your house? What about if you've got 50 pairs of shoes in your wardrobe? See, even economists know that once you've got the basics, money loses its power to make you happy. 
Yet some people even wander away from Jesus looking for more money. Uh, Do you know in Australia today, the average committed Christian comes to church uh, about once every two weeks, comes to a church service. Now, now why is that? This was happening before COVID-19. Why is that? Well, one of the main reasons is we're busy. And we're busy making money. We're busy buying more stuff. We're busy helping other people make money to buy more stuff. We're busy enjoying our money. You see, lots of us set up a lifestyle that requires a certain amount of work hours to sustain that lifestyle, and then godliness and growing in faith gets the leftovers, if, if we're lucky. I wonder if you had to make a difficult decision to come to church this morning because you were tired from all your busyness this past week. Ask yourself, is money, is lifestyle undermining your faith? If that question makes you feel guilty or it makes you feel a bit grumpy at me for even raising it, then have a think about that afterwards. It may be there are some big building blocks in your life that you've set in place that are getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus. And that will make you discontented in life. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, verses 11 and 12 tell you where you should be putting the effort and time and energy in order to live your best life. We read, flee from all of this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Put your energy into those things. Commit to training for that just as hard as you commit to training for sport or exercise or the other hobbies or clubs that you're involved in. And verse 12 we read, take, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. You know, one of the mistakes Christians make is they think that eternal life is what happens after you die. It's not. Have a look at that reading. In verse 14, we're told to keep this command, the command of taking hold of eternal life, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, now, in this life. See, for for writers like um, the Apostle Paul or John, who writes other bits of the New Testament, eternal life isn't something that is a, a lovely promise to happen after you die. It's an entirely new experience and quality of life that begins the moment you start following Jesus and continues from that point all the way into eternity. So it's about a different sort of life, not a prize that you get at the end. Take hold of eternal life now. And Paul writes to Timothy that this isn't going to just happen. He wants him to make a big effort to fight the good fight of faith. He says to him, you made a good start following Jesus, now follow it through. Take hold of eternal life. 
Well, one last thing. We've talked about the people who aren't rich. What if you are rich? Do you know that in 2019, Australia surpassed Switzerland to become the country having the number one median wealth in the world? Australia is number one. We're living as one of the wealthiest countries in the world in one of the richest eras in human history. I mean, any of us here today, anyone watching who has lived more than 30 years knows just how much more stuff we have than since the 1990s, don't you? Do you know, we are so rich as a country that during a pandemic, we could pay millions of people not to work. That's how rich we are as a country. So when Jesus talked about the rich, which he did quite a lot, he's probably meaning most of us. Even if you haven't thought of yourself like that. So what if that's you? What if you've got enough food in your house that you could survive the next two weeks if you got locked down? What if you've got two cars? What if you look in your wardrobe and it's full of clothes? What if you've got a little bit of money in the bank beyond the basics? Now, that's not a spiritual crime of any sort, but it does come with extra responsibilities and extra temptations. So Paul wants people who are rich to do exactly the same as the people who don't have that sort of money. Train hard for godliness take hold of eternal life. But there's also two extra things. You can read it in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. So, two things, don't be arrogant, do be generous. Don't put your hope in money. I mean, how many Australians lost their job or their business this year when they thought that was pretty solid? Maybe that's you. The things that appeared solid and reliable actually aren't, are they? They're very tenuous. And maybe it took a pandemic to show you that. You see, God is reliable, but money is not reliable. Don't put your hope in money. But the thing to do is to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share. I was writing this sermon uh, a few weeks ago and halfway through I went for a walk in the mall in Hobart and um, you know, I walked past a, a middle-aged lady who was sitting down and uh, she said to me, have you got $2 for a bus ticket? Now, I often walk past people like that, just keep on walking, I don't know what you do. Uh, but this time I stopped and I bought her a bus ticket, probably because I'd just been reading 1 Timothy chapter 6. And... That cost me very little as a rich Tasmanian who's got a job. But it was a big, generous gift for her. 
But maybe you can be more generous than that. I remember Chris telling me about someone in this church who gave a big donation so that now you've got Emma working as a trainee with the, uh, the children's ministry. Isn't that amazing that someone would do that? And maybe that's something that you can do. Maybe that's something that you can do. Maybe I'll come back in a year's time and I'll see that you've got someone else employed in gospel ministry here because one person or two people or five people have been really generous. Maybe I'll hear about some of the mission overseas that you're supporting because people have been generous. Being generous is great because it helps you grow in faith and contentment. Do you know that giving away your money, if you're well off, is one of the best ways that you can fight wrong desires and that you can fight discontentment? If you don't believe me, try it. Well, Jesus didn't enter this world and die and rise again just so that we could have a relaxed, tazzy lifestyle. That beach view that you see from the deck of the shack is not actually the issue. You see, it could be a blessing from God or it could be a trap for you. I wonder what it is for you. I wonder if you've been lured into a false version of Christianity, which is the Tasmanian lifestyle dream with a bit of Jesus on the side, where you put more energy into renovating your house than you do into renovating your character. Well, the end point of that journey is a painful wandering away from Jesus, suffering the pangs of discontent. If that's you, what do you, t what do you need to turn away from pursuing in order to turn to Jesus? What are the aspects of godliness that you need to put in your heart in place of those other things that you've been chasing? But maybe you are enjoying the contentment of godliness. It's not perfect, but it's there in your life and you've experienced it for a while or a long time. If that's you, then keep going. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep taking hold of eternal life now. And look forward to that moment when Jesus appears. Because that moment is going to be something far more glorious than a sunset that you get from the deck of a shack on the East Coast. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Be generous. Be willing to share. In this way, you will lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age and take hold of the life that is truly life. Well, let's pray now that we can do that. Uh, Lord God, you have put us in a beautiful, wonderful place as a part of your creation. It's a wonderful gift you've given us living in Tasmania. But Lord, the trap is that we, we forget about you or we only give you the leftovers. Lord, we want to turn away from that this morning. We want to turn to your son, Jesus. We want to find true contentment 
in trusting in him, in following him, in taking hold of the eternal life that he offers now, not at some vague point in the future. Lord, would you grow us in godliness and contentment so that we might have the great gain of all the promises you offer. We need your help to do this, so strengthen us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.